You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Phil said, my name's Michael, um, and been praying for you guys for quite a while. As you can tell with my voice, um, the enemy had a little attack, uh, had a sinus infection, went down in my chest and back up to my head, and, and it, today's a good day. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, too, before we start, um, so you just bow your heads with me. Beautiful Father, you are great and greatly to be praised, and this church doesn't exist without you. Without you, we are a clanging gong and a resounding cymbal. Without you, we're just performing, singing songs and, and spewing words. But that's not the heart that you've given us, Father. You've given us a heart for worship. Every single one of us was created to worship. And that's why we're here. You've put that in us. It's hardwired in us. Whether we're worshiping sports or we're worshiping our job or our, our family, our kids, all of the distractions, Father, Father, we lay those aside, Lord, and we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to us this morning. Do what only you can do. And Father, I bless this church. In Jesus' name. So we were talking this morning in, in, in prayer, and those bright lights, aren't they? Um, one of the images that came up was this stake planted in the ground. And I see that here. Um, you all are going through growth. You're going through change. I know Pastor Phil's heart because as you've, you've said, Pastor Phil, you know, we've been speaking quite a bit through uh, the context of my orthodontic practice, and I know that he has a heart for surrender. And that's what Jesus' heart is. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. You guys have Pastor Phil here, and this church, bless it, you know, if, if he's not surrendered, you guys aren't going to walk into the things that God has for you. And so I do see that, pla- that flag planted, that stake in the ground right here, where as a church, this is the other thing I heard this morning in prayer, um, you guys are one body. We are one body, many parts. And every single one of those parts is important. It's not just your pastor. It's not your worship team. It's not the people in the booth up there that control the sound and, and the experience. But it's every single person here. And unless we all bring something to the family that we're missing, we're missing something. Uh, one body, many parts. It says that the, the less honorable parts are, are worthy or they're treated with more honor. And so don't think if you're not on a worship team or you're not on part of the walkthrough for Easter Sunday um, that that part isn't important. And as we go through this, what, the, what Phil asked me to come talk about was surrender. Um, and this is something that's been near and dear to my heart. And I, I thought it was just one of those things that I'd gotten from the Lord that, okay, now what's next? But if you ever get past surrender, if you ever get past that and think that you've arrived, you've missed it. You're just doing religion. And I've done religion for a lot of my adult life, and it's defeating. Um, but when you get to surrender, there's freedom. And Christ has, has come to set us free. The, the Father said, if you're, you're, you're free. And I think that liberty is one of those things that you, this church is going to experience and it's going to take out into the community. So um, Galatians 2.20 says, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. 
when we are a new creation in Christ, when we surrender, when we say yes, and surrender, it's a simple concept in the sense that it means what it says. We wave the proverbial white flag and we give up. We yield our life to Christ. But how many of y'all know that yielding the human will is probably the hardest thing that we'll ever do? You know, it's, it's we seek Jesus and we set that course and then something happens. You know, whether it's our kids, our marriages, our jobs, the noise, the things that come in that distract us. We sing songs in church like all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. But then what happens on Monday morning? You know, life happens, right? Um, we got to remember that when Jesus died, when he was buried in that tomb, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're buried in that tomb with him. And so we're now hidden with Christ and God. Um, the good news is Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that for, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is a free gift of God. It's, it's nothing that we've done that we can boast about. Works are not included in that. The other side of this, James in chapter 2 says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by what I do. So they go hand in hand. He, he goes so on to say that faith without works is actually dead. Like the body without the spirit is dead, so is, is faith without works. So we live in this tension. Scripture says, in fact, to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's a tension that we've got to live in as long as we're in this body on earth. So although grace is a free gift from God to us, it wasn't free for God. If we stop and think about what it cost him, the blood of his precious son, Jesus, who was slain before the foundations of the world. I mean, think about that. This isn't some plan B that God came up with to say, all right, you all messed up. Now I'm going to have to, to send my son in the flesh to come down there and fix things. Like this was God's plan. And if that's God's plan, if he was going to surrender his, his son, his one and only son, what's our only reasonable response? And that's where surrender comes into play. Because surrender is our only reasonable response. The problem, and we talked about this a little bit, is that in the Western church, we're too comfortable. We're entertained. Big jeans, was it big screen, skinny jeans, and fog machines? You know, the, the attractional church model from the 90s and the, and the 2000s that we've, we're all part of that if you've been in the church long enough. You know, I'm not condemning anybody. That's something that we went through. We try to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, this is just a performance, and it, it is, it's, it's not going to matter. So our reasonable response is surrender. I like what King David said in, in 2 Samuel 24, 24. I don't know if you've got that verse or not. Um, but Gad, the prophet, is talking to King David, and he tells him to go build an altar and make a sacrifice to the Lord. And so the king goes to the landowner, and he's got this threshing floor, and obviously it's the king's servant. He says, what, all I have is yours. Take what you need for the, for the sacrifice. As a matter of fact, not only my threshing floor, but take my bowls and take this wood for the fire. And King David looks at him and he says, I won't make an offering. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. Church, our faith has got to cost us something. What does your faith cost you? What does it cost you in your, in your daily living? 
you know, in your, in your schedule? Have you given your calendar to the Lord? That's one of the things that the Lord challenged me with a couple years ago as, as we entered into that COVID season. Is He says, you're going to give your calendar to me. Whether we like it or not, that was the case. But as we come out of that, and I don't know where this is all going, I see God's hand at work in all of this. I see that, our, that, that he said, stop. You know, you've been doing and doing and doing, but this is a season where we're going to stop. You're going to give me your calendar, and you're going to worship me. So a lot of us may not have blatant, unconfessed sin in our lives, but the question is, is Christ really the center of our life? There was, and I was born in, or child of the 80s, born in the 70s. Oh, gosh, I didn't say that out loud, did I? Um, we had these little booklets that were called the Four Spiritual Laws, little pamphlets that you'd hand out when you're sharing your faith with people. And although it's probably not the most culturally relevant evangelism tool today, there was one page in that booklet that showed a picture of a heart. And within that heart, there was a throne. And I share this because... I think it really helps understand surrender. Where we previously occupied that throne, when you get to this point in your life when you surrender, you yield, you abdicate that throne to Jesus. You know, conceptually very easy, very simple, but it requires everything. It's, it's our whole life recklessly abandoned. In, in Romans chapter 12, it says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your only worthy reasonable act of worship. So what I'm going to share now um, is my personal encounter with the Lord and, and kind of how I got to surrender. Um, although I was saved in junior high and I uh, was involved in church and ministry and things like that, I got to a point where I think a lot of all of us should get to, or if, if we haven't, you've probably been there before I have, where you question, God, there's got to be something more. You know, I've been doing religion. I know all the words to say. I come to church. In 2008, I met with my pastor, and I questioned if I was even saved. I got to the point where I said, am I called? Am I predestined? And there's some heady things in Scripture that you can get so bogged down in the weeds, and you can miss the grace part. And so he reassured me, um, and there's a scripture that says, he who began a good work in us will continue to perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so that, that was the saving grace, but I, I usually paraphrase scripture, but there's, there's um, a couple in here I wanted to read. I printed them out so I can see. When you hit 50, you need readers, so I'm going to skip the readers. Um, the book of 1 John was something that wrecked me before I got to a point of surrender in my life. Um, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. How many commandments do we break on a regular basis as spirit-filled believers? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things... In the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This isn't saying that we can't enjoy our time here on planet Earth and engage in the world. As, as a matter of fact, Jesus said that he he's doesn't want the Father to take us out of the world. We're supposed to be salt and light in the world. But it, what it's saying is don't fall in love with the world system. 
you know, as believers, we live by a different system, the kingdom system. You know, the Holy Spirit is now alive in us. The, the problem with First John for me is that it's about identity. It's about our identity in Christ. And until you really surrender, surrender is like the, the doorway. It's the gateway that we walk in through. The relationship hasn't really started. So the last, the last one in First John, it's, it's his verse uh, 420. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. At the time, I wrestled with some unforgiveness and some relationships, uh, some bitterness. It's hard to love everybody um, until you realize how much God loves you. Know, that, he, that he has given his son, that, that, that we have a role in this whole thing. Does anybody know by show of hands um, what the last verse in 1 John is? Because it, probably not. I did, it, but the reason I ask is it stands out. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So what is that all about? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. God wants us to have faith. He wants us to be obedient, and he wants us to have his love, to experience his love and to share it with others. Anything that comes in the way of that is an idol. That's our schedule, it's our jobs, it's our kids, it's, it's all of those things. So there's a personal surrender side, but there's also, like we talked about in Philippians 1, 6, he who began the good work, there's a work that the Spirit does in us. Um, on my journey... Um, I read two books, or listened to two books on a, on a commute. I've got a long commute to one of my office, offices. Uh, one was Radical by David Platt, and the other was Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And if anybody's read these books, they, you guys would understand. Um, but the essence was that if Jesus Christ is really who he says he is, if you do an if-this-then-this this sort of pathway through, you get to the point where you got to surrender everything. And this is 2015. Ultimately, for me, a, a type A person where I've got to, it's either got to be all or it's nothing. It's going to be perfect or I can't do it. Um, I wasn't ready. I was comfortable with religion. And so I held on to my version of Jesus. You know, you can sprinkle it on this and you can pray for this and Father bless that, but I wasn't giving everything. Scripture addresses this sort of person when it says, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What does spit you out of my mouth sound like? Does that sound saved? You know, and this, this, isn't a, this isn't condemnation for anybody. You know, I believe that I prayed the prayer. I believe that, that, that I had surrendered my life as a, in junior high. Um, but there's this walking it out. You know, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So the problem with me is I didn't have any examples, or at least I didn't think that I had any examples. A couple years later, in February 2017, I was introduced to a man named Don Larson. Um, and Don, who's become one of my mentors, um, he is a guy that if you look at him from the outside, you'd think that he had it all. Um, big house, kids in private schools, um, pool in the backyard. He had hot air balloons was his thing, um, all the expensive cars. He was even an elder in his church. So you think about it from like that outside perspective, you know, and that's how we end up with a Saul. We look at the outside perspective, 
You know, but you all know that God looks at the heart, what's inside. Inside, my friend Don knew that something was missing. You know, he climbed all over the mountains. At one point, God spoke to him, and he said, go sell everything that you have, liquidate it all. You're going to go to Africa, and you're going to start a business in the, in the cashew industry. You're going to roast these nuts, harvest these nuts, and take 90% of the, the proceeds of this business, and you're going to reinvest it in these subsistence farmers in Africa to bring up the quality of life. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to pair widows with orphans in homes. He started these homes. He called it a reverse tithe, Give, giving 90% and living on the 10%. How many of us, speaking to myself, could live on a budget like that? Do we have that in mind, or is it, is it just the minimum? Do we want to, ah, oh God, I don't know. You know, here's that, you know, we give them a tip and we put it in the offering, or, you know, is it deliberate? I mean, Scripture says to give our first fruits. And this isn't, this isn't a message, message about money. This is a message about surrender. Suffice to say, I finally had my unicorn. I had an example of what surrender looks like in a human being. And before you think that you've got to move to Africa and sell everything that you have, you know, to live in a, in a life of surrender, think about the body. Think about all of the pieces to that. Every piece is important. Um, the thing is, is that God wants our heart, and that's what the surrender message is. So the same week that I met my friend Don... Uh, we were at a worship night. I feel kind of awkward just standing here with my hands and all that. I'm just going to come up here with you guys. Um, we were at a worship night with some friends. And I had this word confess or confession. And I'm like, Lord, what is this? And we're all in corporate prayer. We've got our eyes closed, or, you know, just sitting here. And I'm hearing confess, confession. And then a man on the other side of the room says, for those that are in Christ, there's no longer any condemnation. And I'm like, Whoa. You know, for me, that was the first time that I recognized God's voice speaking through another person. How many of y'all know that God speaks through you all to other people? That's part of being salt and light. And if we're not living in surrender, we, we're not going to be able to be used by the Holy Spirit to speak to another person. I mean, how many people think that that would be awesome to be able to be used by God to speak to another person? Well, that's what happened to me um, that night. And... That night, I had a first of a series of supernatural dreams. I'll just share the one for sake of time. Um, I heard three things. I, hear, I heard, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. I heard cause-effect relationship. And I heard, read the first book after the law. So hero Israel, the, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. I didn't know it at the time, but it's called the Shema. And the Shema is by many Jewish people's accounts, the most important prayer. They, they pray it in the morning, they pray it in the evening. And the, the, essentially what it is, is it, it's, it shows you that, that there's just one God. So that, that's followed by the first and greatest commandment in verse 5 in Deuteronomy 6. It says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So the second thing I heard was cause-effect relationship and read the first book after the law. Well, the law being the Torah, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's Samuel. And so I'm thinking, open my Bible, and it's Joshua. What? Well, this is, this is, this is a little bit ironic because in Samuel, if you guys know um, Samuel and Eli, the story, Samuel hears the Lord call him, but he doesn't know that it's the Lord. 
and he goes to Eli three times. And the third time, Eli says, go back, lay down, and says, you know, when you hear the voice, say, your servant is listening. Here I am, Lord, your servant is listening. So that's just ironic. But in Joshua chapter 1, it says, be careful to obey all that my servant Moses has commanded you, that you may prosper your way and have good success wherever you go. That's like chapter 1 in Joshua, there's the cause-effect relationship. So the Lord's got my attention. You know, I'm hearing from another person, the Lord from another person, and now I'm getting these dreams that I can't explain. And as a type A person where you have to touch it and see it and feel it to know that it's real, this just blew my mind. So a couple days later, I heard, or this is the best way that I can explain it. When you don't understand how the Lord speaks, it's just like you hear something in your spirit. Um, I heard him say to buy my mother-in-law a car. And I thought, that's really odd. Um, There's a lot more supernatural to the story, but suffice to say, as soon as I committed to buying the car for my mother-in-law, the Lord began to speak to me in my spirit. And, And he said, the reason I haven't blessed you with more children yet is that you're worried about how am I gonna pay for school and food and clothes and all these different things. And he says, I'm gonna take care of those things. There's more to the word, but that's, that's the essence. And for background, we had three biological kids. We'd had four miscarriages in between, and we wanted a bigger family. We talked about adoption before we ever got married. And so that was, was near and dear to our hearts. Um, and when I heard this word, I called my wife because it just seemed so strange, you know, that well, where did this come from? And so we get off the phone. After I tell her about it, I get to the office, and 10 minutes later, she calls to let me know that the adoption agency that we've been with for three years and not received a single call has got three kids that they want to place with us. We had to turn one of them down. We took a sibling set. One, was, one hadn't been born yet, and the other one had a one-year-old sister. And that night, when I got home, my little girls are washing baby bottles. Um, a care package had arrived on our, our porch the night before, and we're not on any registries, but they, it's filled with these baby bottles. And it's like when the Lord gives you a word and confirms the word with signs and wonders to follow, it takes a person that has to figure things out, and it leads you to that point of surrender. And this is for somebody here today. You know, how many, how many times has the Lord knocked on your, the door of your heart? How many times has he done something in your life, and you say, was that God, or is that just a coincidence? I mean, there's so many of those things, but just like, I think it was Elijah, when, when I think he was running after, after the fire fell on the altar, and, and he was in a, is he in a cave, and the, the Lord came, and there's an there's a earthquake, and then there was the, the wind and the fire, all these things, that the Lord wasn't in any of those things. This just came to me. That's why I'm probably messing it up. He was in the still, small voice, and we need to get quiet if we want to hear his voice. So three days later, I'd heard, I'd heard too much. And that's when I just kind of like, you know, in my head, I see the chips on the table and I'm just pushing them in. I'm like, Lord, I'm all in. That's March 1st, 2017. I'm 50 years old, so this is 40-something. Been a quote-unquote believer um, since junior high, just doing religion. And this is for somebody here because God doesn't want to leave any of you guys behind. You know, he has a plan and a purpose for everybody's life here. And like we talked about the body, you know, if we don't have the eyes, 
if we don't have the nose for the sense of smell. You know, every single part of that is important. And what I'm sharing now is a testimony. And what a testimony is, I, I think, is it means to do it again. God's not a respecter of persons. What he's done in one person's life, he's going to do in another person's life. If you look at the characters in Scripture, they're all types, you know. Um, they're all people that were broken vessels. You look at the flaws that David had. You look at um, Moses didn't want to speak. You know, all of us are broken vessels. And if we let that insecurity stand in the way of what God wants to do with us, you guys are going to miss it. Like this church, this, the stake is planted in the ground and God is doing something here. And he's calling all of you into that plan. And each of you has a role in that. But to be able to hear that still small voice, we've got to be quiet. So the Lord was leading me into greater and greater surrender through these series of events and dreams. And at one point on April 1st, I, I prayed for, we were at a, at a meeting, I prayed for and asked for baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't encountered the Lord through baptism in the Spirit, I don't know how you do the Christian life. I mean, I mean this with everything in me. It's not judgment. Um, we'll have altars open after the service. If you've not received baptism in the Holy Spirit, I highly encourage you to come up. We've got a prayer team that is starting today. Um, I don't know how these things work. I prayed and prayed and prayed. I'm yelling and screaming in my car on an hour and a half commute to Chillicothe. Lord, Lord, I want more. And when I saw people operating in, in the signs and the gifts and, and tongues and things like that, I questioned it all of being a left brain person. Uh, my wife prayed in the spirit and, and she's seen her body outside of the spirit. And since she was a little girl, I thought when we got married that I was going to disciple her and teach her about Jesus and all these things. And, you know, um, she was light years ahead of me in the spirit. Um, the, the hardest distance you'll ever travel is from this point here to here. And this is where the Lord speaks to you. This is, this is where your spirit is. And when the, the Holy Spirit enters you, this is, this is where I felt him for three and a half hours on the floor in a pile of snot um, after I judged that. You know, so be, be real careful to build theology based on your experience. And when I share my dreams with you guys, that's not just to build a theology. That's just to tell you that this is how I encountered. How you encounter the Holy Spirit could be different. It may be in a prayer line. It may be um, driving to work. You know, something just hits you and you've got to pull off to the side of the road. It might be in your prayer closet. Some of you may even have it already, but you just haven't unwrapped the gift. So baptism changes everything. Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus. You know, Saul persecuted the Christians. He killed the Christians. He, tracked, he left and tracked them down, and, and, and Jesus encountered him. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, there's that road to Damascus experience, and that's what this message of surrender is. It's that old Mike, as my wife called me, to, to Michael. Like, God changes people's names in the Bible. It was Saul to Paul. Each one of you has a new name. In Revelation, it talks, this, is, this isn't in my notes. We have a name, a, a white stone, you know, with a, with a new name written on it. And we are already seated in heavenly places, is what Scripture says. We have to live in these bodies, 
the aches and pains and um, reading glasses and all those things that, that we go through in this life. But the things that we do here matter. But Jesus has already paid the price. This is grace and works flow from it. This is not the gospel of works. But Jesus, when he was hungry, and he saw the fig tree from afar and saw all the green leaves on it and he walked up to it and didn't see any fruit on it, he spoke to it. That's another message, the power of our words. He spoke to the fig tree and said, let no one ever eat fruit from you again. So although grace is here and we've got our works here, and they, it's both, you know, the, the works flow from the grace, you know, Jesus said, you know, by your fruit, you'll know what kind of tree you're dealing with. What kind of fruit do you guys have on your tree? Is there fruit? You know, or if, if we're not living in surrender, there's not going to be any fruit. So back to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because this is, this is really what the Lord has really showed me to kind of talk about today. I've got a lot of notes, but I really wanted the Lord to have his way. Um, when Paul went to Ephesus and he met with the new believers and he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they looked at him and they said, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. Well, that was my life. And that's probably the life of a lot of people in a church this size. Don't keep living that way. It says that the hunger get fed. There's a hunger that's involved. There's a crying out in your spirit. There's the surrender. There's the yielding. But there's so much more, church. This is the, when you plant the stake in the ground, the flag in this church, that's just the beginning. And surrender is just the doorway that we go through. In the Gospels, Jesus commanded the disciples to wait in the Holy Spirit until he came and filled them with power. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit here. It's not, it's not going to have its effect. There was a parable um, where Jesus compared the, the kingdom to the ten virgins. There was five foolish virgins that didn't bring any oil, and then there were five wise virgins. The five wise virgins had the oil. The oil in the Old Testament is referring to the Holy Spirit. You know, when they would anoint a king, when the prophet would come up to the king and pour oil on his head and anoint him, sometimes before they ran, because <laughs> they knew they were going to be in trouble, um, that was symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Uh, Saul began to prophesy. When he was anointed king, he began to prophesy, and he wasn't one of the prophets. But it's, it, with these virgins, if we don't have oil, we have nothing to give. You know, you think about 10 virgins, they're all saved. Now, if these are churches or if these are individuals, if it's just a parable, he's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to virgins. These are believers. And he's saying, you've got to have oil. John 15, 5 says, apart from me that you can do nothing. I heard an evangelist once say, apart from me, you can do a lot of nothing. A lot. And we do. You know, in the name of Jesus, you know, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we, didn't we do all these things in your name? And at, on, on that last day, Jesus looks at us and he says, get away from me. I never knew you. I don't want to hear that. Nobody here wants to hear that. <laughs> one, one more example with the Holy Spirit, because I really feel I didn't hear it. Nice. I love it. I don't have an answer for that. One more example with this Holy Spirit, because this is, this is, this is key. 
we can get to surrender, but we got to be hungry for the Holy Spirit because it's, it's, it's not going to have its effect. Mary, when she was pregnant, before she was pregnant, the angel came and spoke to her and said, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. There was nothing Mary could have done to produce Jesus. That wasn't a work that she did. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and she became pregnant. That's how this whole plan started. We can't live the Christian life without his power. So how do we start? You know, this all sounds great. You know, conceptually sounds great. I agree with you, Michael. Um, We need the Holy Spirit. Where do we start? First thing is we need to slow down. In our busy lives, at some point, something has to give. This is off script. The Hebrews on, in the Old Testament, they had a Sabbath day of rest. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And they took it to a legalistic extent, you know, which we can get in danger of in, in our lives too as Gentile believers. We can, we can take anything that God intends for our blessing and we can turn it into an idol or into, into religion. But the, Saturday was a Sabbath day of rest. We think about it. A lot of our families are dual-income families. You know, mom goes to work, dad goes to work, kids go to school. We work all week, and then we come back, and now we've got to divide and conquer because we've got to get the kids to their sports. And, you know, uh, if he doesn't play AAU, he's not going to make it, and, and he's not going to get his college scholarship. Am I speaking to anybody? I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to me. Um, we have to slow down. In Mark 1.35, Jesus, having risen very early in the morning, while it was still dark, went out to a lonely place and he prayed. You guys have a lonely place that you go to in the morning, in the evening, at some point in your life, on a regular rhythm? Because if we don't have oil, and this, this is what I'll tell my wife when I'm completely worn out, and I know that the next thing that comes out of my mouth is going to require an apology. I'm out of oil. And it's okay for you to, to, to say that to your spouse. It's okay for you to tell that to your children. You know, sometimes you've got to go into your bedroom and lock the door and let the kids kind of figure it out. You know, um, We've got to have a time where we're still. Scripture says to be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still. Be. We get so caught up in this world that's so performance-driven. A lot of us, that's how we get our identity. It's from how we perform. You know, you get performance reviews in your work. What if you heard God tell you to just be? To just be who he intended you to be? You've got to hear the still, small voice, and in order to do that, we've got to slow down. I shared this with our, our, our prayer team this morning um, as I prayed for them. One of the things in Scripture, it says, and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. That's my prayer for you, church, is that when you're out in the community, that people would recognize you by your love, that people, although you're ordinary people, we're all ordinary people, that you've encountered Jesus. You've had that experience with him. You spent your time in his word. The Holy Spirit is living and alive in you 
That's the deposit. That's the guarantee. That's the seal on your life of your inheritance. We have an inheritance. We're not bought and put on layaway for later. Like, we have eternal life, and it, it began when you said yes to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came in when you said yes to Jesus. Some of y'all just haven't woken that Holy Spirit up inside of you. And I invite you to come down to the altar. You know, there, there, we have a prayer team that will pray with you. So there's a, a rule um, in life that what we focus on increases. Um, short analogy was playing golf with my dad as a kid, and I wasn't the good golfer. It was my brother and my father. I was like jack of all, master of none. But when there's water on this side and there's sand on this side or there's trees over here, and he says, I'll just hit it down the middle. What thoughts go through your head as you, as you get up there and stand on the tee boxes? You're thinking about the water over here and the sand over there. Where do you hit it? Right where you're thinking. You know. So as a man thinketh, so he is. We have to be really, really careful with our thoughts. Everything in our life starts with a thought. Philippians 4.8, and this is, this is a, a verse that I've shared with my kids, and, and it'll preach to me too. It says, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, we think about what people tell us about ourselves, you're to this, or you're to that. You know, think about how we disqualify ourselves. Well, just because he did it for this person, he's not going to do it for me. You know, we, we get these identities that the enemy has spoken to us, these lies that the enemy has spoken to us over the years of our life, that we don't even resemble Christ. We call ourselves Christians, but we, don't, we aren't focused on these things. How many know that wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling? And wrong feelings lead to a whole host of mistakes that we make in our lives. We make so many decisions based on our feelings. This is a feeling-driven culture. It starts with a thought, turns into a feeling, and that's how we act it out. Scripture says to have self-control, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We have to discipline our minds Take every thought captive to Christ. That's where this, this process starts. We've got to slow down, take the thoughts captive to Christ. And I heard this, I heard this from a pastor. Pray, pray, read the word. You know, when you're reading scripture, read it out loud. God created this world through his spoken word. You can read the promises in scripture back to the Lord. No, but Lord, you said the righteous, you've never seen the righteous forsaken. When you're going through the things that we all go through in our lives, read those words back to the Lord in your prayer closet. Declare those things over your family. Read Proverbs 31 out loud over your wife. I don't know where that came from. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Keep a journal. One of the things that happened with me when I, when I went through surrender is I started to journal things because it, the stuff that was happening I couldn't explain. This is an important one, and this is one that I learned through a mentor. And if you don't have a mentor, and if you're not mentoring somebody, see, I sat in one of those chairs and I absorbed stuff for many, many years. You know, probably could have had a, an honorary theological degree with the number of sermons I've listened to. If you're not mentoring somebody, and if you don't have a mentor that's pouring into you, 
If you're not humble enough to receive from another person, you're going to miss a lot because there's a lot of experience in this body. And that's one of the things that it's going to be really easy to come and go from a church if you don't get connected in a small group. And I, I know Phil has plans. I don't want to burst any bubbles or leak anything too soon, but I think one of his visions is really to see small groups in this church and you guys coming along and sharpening each other's iron. You know, there's a message that's preached and we go through worship and things like that, but it's, it's in the context of breaking bread with one another that we hash all this stuff out. You know, everything is done over a meal. Speaking of meals, my point is fasting. So what I learned from my, my friend was fasting. And this wasn't something that I wanted it to do, but Jesus commanded it. In Matthew 16, 6, 17, he says, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. In the same way that I learned to tithe in 2005, my friend taught me fasting. And so on Wednesdays, I fast. Uh, this person, who remains nameless, one year had fasted 280 days. And I'm not saying to take it to that level, but there's something in an intimacy that you don't experience without fasting. Last point on fasting, it's, and this is in Mark 9, 29. Jesus is speaking when the disciples are not able to cast a demon out. He says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. We need to grow to maturity. We need to understand our identity. And I want to share one more thing with you guys. I've got a couple, a couple more, but I think for the sake of time, I want to really hit this one, and then we're going to probably bring the, the worship team back up. Um, bitterness. We can't have bitterness. A pastor once shared with me, he said, faith moves me, my son, but forgiveness releases my power. That was something that the Lord had spoken to him, and it's a truth for me too. We have to be able to, first of all, forgive ourselves, but we have to forgive others. We can't carry offense. We can't harbor bitterness. Those are the things that when we're focused on the Lord, it's, it's going to take us off course. If you're holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness, it's, Scripture says it rots the bones. Scripture says to forgive as, as we are forgiven as we forgive, and it says that if you forgive others, your Father will forgive you. And the last thing I'll say about forgiveness is, is the illustration of when you bring your gift to the altar. If you remember that your brother has something against you, if you've got something against your brother, leave your gift there at the altar, go and be reconciled, and then come back. So this is my last point, if the, if the worship team wants to come up. Um, don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. If today you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. You know, this is a moment, and life is lived in moments. Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah in 2 Corinthians 6.2. He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time, and now is the day of salvation. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near Jesus said in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wasn't speaking to -Christian, non-Christians. He's speaking to believers. Jesus is standing at this door and he's knocking. Are we going to open the door? Are we going to let him come in and have his way?
Church, we've got to get to a point where we surrender. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. It's not just words. We come with a heart posture, and the Holy Spirit comes. And like Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow us. All we got to do is ask. Are you willing to ask? Father, thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for what you're doing in the hearts and families that make up this church. Thank you for the vision that we have to minister to you. That everything that we do in our life would bring you glory. Because without you, we can do a lot of nothing. So as we transition to a time of worship here, I just want to invite anybody up that feels the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, I have more for you. I'm not finished with you. You may have thought that that moment passed, but I'm giving you a second chance. There's nothing that you can do that God would love you less. There's nothing that you can do that he won't say, come here, son. Come here, daughter. Come and receive. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.